So glad all of you are here today. Glad that we're together to worship the Lord. Wasn't that sweet? Sweet singing to him. It's wonderful to sing to the Savior, isn't it? Isn't it? Amen? Is he not still sweet? Amen? Amen. Amen. Before we start, I, I had an urgent prayer request given to me. Um, if you guys remember Travis and Lori Payton, we were up with them in Reading and we preached at their um, family camp uh, at Cow Creek. Uh, I think it's Cow Creek Community Church. And as we were preaching there, um, um, actually, Bonnie told me that their second to the youngest, I think, is Luke. Uh, he has a serious E. coli infection, and they had to, uh, we weren't there when this happened, this just happened this morning. He was helicoptered out, um, and we just, they just asked for prayer. So we pray that, uh, if you would join with me in prayer, we'll pray for uh, young Luke, a cute little kid, completely blonde hair, just a cute kid, and we'll just pray for him. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can join with our brothers and sisters, even if we are separated in distance. Uh, we are not separated in heart. We have the same Father. And it's good that we can praise you and lift up, dear Luke. We pray, Father, that you would heal him. Heal him quickly. Guide the doctors. Lord, we pray that there would not be any permanent damage, that he would grow to come to know you and love you call you Savior. I pray, Father, that you would ease Travis's and Lori's mind and all the other kids for your glory. And we pray, Father, even as we uh, continue to study your text, we pray that you would melt us, encourage us, exhort us, rebuke us if needed, Father, that we would fight for your glory. We pray, Father, that we would do this for the glory of Christ, for the good of your people, for the salvation of sinners. Oh God, bless this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6. We are just waiting and cutting through the book of Ephesians. It's been a wonderful challenge and it's been a wonderful, encouraging book for us. Ephesians chapter 6, now Paul is going to turn uh, into and verses 10. We're only going to do verses 10 to 13, um, and we're going to break it right there for this Sunday. We are celebrating communion, and uh, so we're going to break this uh, portion of 10 to 17 into two parts, the first portion being 10 to 13 here. When we were ministering in South Asia, our pastor, Steve Fernandez, came to visit us, and we were glad that he came to visit. Um, he was asking how we were doing, and I was telling him how hard it was, and how we had some students and good friends betray us, we had them slander us, uh, and it was a common thing there, right? Uh, we had some opposition against us. The government wasn't making it easy. Uh, he understood, but I kept going. I kept telling him, oh, this and oh, that and oh, woe is me. And oh, it's so difficult for me. And I was just telling him, I think I was trying to elicit a bit of encouragement from my pastor. But Steve said, hey, Angelo, that's, I understand your difficulty, but you know what? 
you're sounding kind of whiny. That's our pastor, right? Uh, he went to be with the Lord. And he said, what? I just remember this as crystal clear as, as can be. I think Jeanette was there sitting in. He said, Angela, what did you expect? This is war, he said. We're at war. And I think sometimes, especially those who understand the sovereignty of God, that God controls all things, and sometimes we kind of sit back in that and we say, well, if God controls all things, why should I exert any effort at all? Why should I fight? Why should I fight for the glory of Christ? Why should I fight for the gospel? If sometimes we forget that we're even in a battle. I mean, it's so beautiful here, isn't it? I'm 10 minutes from the beach, right? You got 20 minutes to Legoland, an hour to Disneyland. It's so beautiful here, we forget, right? But what God has said, you know, uh, one commentator says it this way. If you're not in some kind of conflict because of Christ, you're not fighting for his glory. If you are not in some kind of conflict for Christ, you're not fighting for his glory. You're just going with the flow of deadness around you. And sometimes we forget this. Man's opposition to your gospel efforts is not the curse of God. It's actually his blessing. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Man's opposition to the gospel and your gospel efforts and living the Christian life is not necessarily God's curse. It's actually God's blessing. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read these verses. But finally, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13. 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. God gave this passage so that you would fight valiantly to bring glory to Christ in your life. God gave this passage so that you would fight valiantly to bring glory to Christ in your life. A lot of times folks think that being a Christian means, well, now I'm saved and now my whole life is just going to be roses and parks and petals and petunias. My whole life is going to be like that. But if you know, if you've come to Christ, uh, as soon as you come to him, I know it's been my experience, all of a sudden I realize, man, this is kind of tough. Man, I'm losing friends here. Man, my own family is starting to not to like me because I'm serving Christ and I don't want to go that way. Or I don't want to watch those things. Or I don't want to do those things. And all of a sudden, conflict enters my life. I don't know if I signed up for that. And yet God says, He is there with you. 
See, before he talks about this battle, he fills us with theological truth. Truth that will drive your walk. Truth that's going to ground you. And you got to know this, brothers and sisters. If you don't have this truth as your foundation, you will crumble. And if you have not been beaten up in this life, wait, there's a truck waiting for you. Because we're in this fallen world. We're not on the good side of Genesis chapter 3. We're on the bad side, right? We're not on the side of paradise, okay, just because we have palm trees. We're on the side of Genesis 3, which is cursed. And there are bad things that come, but praise the Lord, we have Christ. Amen? But notice what kind of truth he fills us with. And you you guys know this. If you follow with me, I'm just going to give a brief review. He fills you first with the assurance of God's triune love. And what I mean by triune love is that God is one in essence, three in persons, and all the members of the Godhead express their love to you. He doesn't want you to go through this life if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, guessing if he loves you, kind of hesitating whether or not he has your back, kind of wondering, does God really love me? It seems like he loves that person, not me, right? He wants you to be assured. And you notice in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Look at it, verse 4. This is black and white, okay? I'm not changing the words. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God's electing love. Of the Father, the Father's electing love, that before the foundation of the world, He has shown His affection on you. Then there's also the Son's dying love, Ephesians 7 and 8. Notice He says there, In Him, that is Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. Verse 13 and 14, we have the Spirit's assuring love. In verse 13, in Him, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Brother Manny, is this as cold as you can get it? Because I'm already hot, right? Is this as cold as we can get it? All right. All right, okay. It's that northern cow still. We still want the cold, right? Past alienation, past alienation. Notice in Ephesians 2, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And by nature, our own nature didn't want God. Our minds, our hearts, our wills didn't decide after God. Before I knew Christ, I didn't want him over me. I thought it was a nice thing to have religion. I didn't want Christ over me because my nature militated against his authority. I had hatred toward God, and yet God melted me, he says in verse 4, about God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And then in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he shows how, chapter 3, he shows how all the races, especially the Jews and the Gentiles, and they hated each other, what the cross has done. The cross has redeemed us and reconciled us to God the Father and now has brought about family where there was once enmity. I thought, I think that's amazing that I could look across the room here and have someone who's a different background, a different, from a different family, 
from a different ra- upraising, up, uh, up re- a different rearing, and all of a sudden we are not as family. We are family. Chapter 4 moves on, and he says he gives pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip the saints for the ministry. And we're not to live in this Christian life. We're not to live it in isolation. We're not to live it in, oh, this is my Christianity, and I'm just going to do this by myself. The Christian life, by design, by God's plan, is to be lived in the context of a local church, in committed love and fellowship in the local church as the pastors equip the saints and unleash them into ministry. Chapter 5, God grants his spirit to live out Christ-honoring lives in your marriages, growing up in a family as a youth, in your parenting, and in your workplace. And then he turns to chapter 6. Chapter 6 is where we fight. Well, I don't think Christians should fight. The Bible says fight. Okay. There is a fight. Now, to fight valiantly, to bring glory to Christ in your life, there are two principles you must always have in mind. To fight valiantly, to bring glory to Christ, you have to have two principles always in mind. And the first one in verses 10 through 16, uh, do we have any more notes or are they all gone? Are we all, anybody want notes? If you want notes, uh, Brother Manny can pass it to you, okay? The first one in verses 10 through 16 is always prepare for battle, okay? Always prepare for battle. How will you fight valiantly for Christ? How will you fight valiantly for his gospel? How will you live courageously for his gospel? The Bible says to always prepare for battle. Always prepare for battle. The first thing in uh, verse 10, I want to call this, harness your power. Okay? Harness your power. And I say your power well knowing that this power doesn't come from you. Okay? This power comes from Christ. And he starts it off and he says, finally, it's an explanation after all of the theology, after the Holy Spirit has been granted to you, and as you yield to his word, he gives you power. Now he says you can fight, but you have to rely on Christ. And he says this, um, these are words on how to live this Christian life. And he says the first thing, to be strong. God calls you to be strong. He doesn't call you to be strong in and of yourselves because if you've tried that, you're going to fail. Have you tried that? I'm just going to be a better person. I'm just going to turn over a new leaf tomorrow. I'm going to just do it myself. Have you ever tried that? That is a crash and burn technique, right? What does it mean to be strong? What do the lexicons say? It's to cause someone to have the ability to do or to experience something, to make someone able to give capability to, to enable, to strengthen, to empower, uh, to make strong. It isn't a brutish strength that has no direction or, or kind of like, a, uh, like an out-of-control truck that just fall and hits a, uh, hits a wall and destroys it. It is a strength that is empowerment for living. It is a focused strength that you can, by the power of Christ, live this life. 
You don't have to stay in your sin, brothers and sisters. You don't have to stay in depression, brothers and sisters. You don't have to keep feeling sorry for yourself. God has given you his spirit to get up and fight. And he says here to be strong. Notice the form of the word is in an imperative. And all that means is it's a command. In other words, if you are to live this Christian life, you've got to take this seriously. And if you forget all other things about this sermon, brothers and sisters, this is the one point you have to remember. I've got to be strong in the Lord. I've got to depend on Christ. I hate how I fail. I hate how even if I get up in the morning and I don't spend time with Christ, I'm already short with my kids, snapping at my kids, right? Because why? I don't, I've not spent time with the Savior. I've not drawn on the wellspring of strength, which is the Christ. I just thought, I, well, I'm such a good enough guy. You know, I'm such a nice guy that you know, I, I think I could kind of fabricate this love between me and my kids. You know what, brothers and sisters? If you have kids, that could run really thick, right? Real quick, right? You need to come and you need to drink of the Christ who can give you strength. And God is calling you to do this. You have to be, understand, this is not for super Christians. This is not a suggestion, this is telling you you will fall on your face if you don't draw from the well that is Christ. You have to understand this. And God teaches you this because you'll fail, you fail, you fail. And you say, why do I keep failing in this sin? I'm not drawing on the strength of Christ. I'm not listening to what he said. Now you notice it's not just an imperative. The form of the verb is also in the passive. And all that means is is that I am not strengthening myself. Got it. Okay. I am not saying, by my sheer willpower, I will force myself to be godly. I'm going to love that person with my own power. Right? That's not what the Bible is saying. It is saying that to you, for you to take the command that God has said, he, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's almost paradoxical. He's saying for you... I command you to draw strength from me and to be strengthened from me. In other words, I command you to depend on me. I command you to rely on me. I command you not to do this in your strength. And it has these two different aspects. Number one, I confess that I can't do it with, apart from him. Right? Doesn't Jesus say, John 15, right? To abide in him. And he says, apart from me, you can do some things, right? I, apart from me, you can do a half portion of your day and then the rest you need my strength. No, apart from me, what does it say? You can do nothing. You can do nothing, right? And so God says, look, I have this strength for you. I know you are weak and broken. I have redeemed you. I have given my son for you. I can give you what you need. I have the strength for you to actually look at, look at your boss's face and submit. To love your wife 
uh, when you're having problems. To, for wives to love your husbands when they're going astray. To love your children. For children to love their parents when they lord it over them and they abuse their authority. God says, I can give you strength. But notice he also says, and we're just looking at the form of the verb. Wow. That number one, it's a command. Number two, it's passive. And number three, it's in the, I'm giving some grammar here, okay? So just stay with me, okay? It's in the second person plural. And what that means is, it's not saying you individually be strong. It's saying you as a local church, Ephesians, okay? You Ephesian believers, Keep getting strength from God. Keep drawing from God. Together, encourage that. Keep going together. And you notice, Paul does not have this Christian life in isolation. He doesn't envision it that way. Because God doesn't want us to live that way. Notice, he says, that's in the, he says, to seek together, y'all, if, if I was from Texas, y'all. Be strong in the Lord, right? Notice in verse 11, okay? Verse 11, he says here, put on the full armor of God. It's not just you put on, you personally. It's y'all put on the armor of God together. Right? Take up the armor of God, verse 13, all together. And then, um, and so we see this ver verb also used in 1 Timothy 1.12. I'll just read it to you. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Philippians 4.13, the famous verse. He says what? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Brother and sister, whatever problem you are going through, okay? Now, I don't pretend to minimalize it. I don't pretend to minimalize the pain that you're going through, okay? I can't see your heart, but I can promise you by the power of God, by the authority of Christ, he can give you strength. You can get through it. You can get through it. You hear me? You can get through it. You're not alone. He says, in the Lord, there's the phrase. And I want to show you, because you're not, you've not had it as hard as Paul, okay? So let's see who's had it really hard. And then maybe I could say, okay, well, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going through so much, right? I'm not really going through so much. Sometimes I'm like that, right? Sometimes I remember when I was uh, uh, in South Asia and I thought I was going through problems and I was with my friend Theo and Theo, he's a, a um, he pastors over pastors, he shepherds them and he was showing me this collage on the wall and he said, oh, see that brother, he was killed for his faith, but you know what, it's okay, his brother is now being trained with us and so he'll replace him and I'm looking at him, <laughs> I'm like, Wait, wait, slow down. What did you just say? Yeah, yeah, he died. But they killed him on the train, but now his brother has replaced him. And so we're, all, we're cool. I'm like, what? Okay, my problem of not getting internet in India is not a problem, really. Right? Right? 
if he could strengthen that guy, that brother, to, do the, to preach the gospel, surely he could strengthen me with my problems. Amen? Look at first, uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is going to see, this is going to be this word in action, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, okay? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. If you remember, Paul is saying this idol maker, he would bend copper to make these idols, okay? He raised a riot against Paul to accuse him, to get him killed, right? And it says here, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds, right? Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching, okay? And so Paul didn't say, sometimes this is what Christians say, well, we have opposition, so it must not be the Lord's will. That's hogwash, okay? That's never been in the... That's more American Christianity. That's not real Christianity there. Well, we have opposition, so that must not be God's will. Hogwash. Since when does it get hard that, that it must not be God's will? Sometimes God's will, most of the time God's will, is the hardest thing. Notice he says here, at my first defense, no one, notice verse 16, no one was there. Everyone deserted me may not be counted them. Look at verse 17. You feel alone? You feel like everyone has left you? Look at this. Verse 17, but what does it say? The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. God says, Paul says this. He says here, be strong in the Lord in Ephesians. And in, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And now Paul is giving testimony. You understand? I know what this strength is. I've experienced it. He says, God, what does he say in verse 17? The Lord was with me, amen? Not principles of, of, of godly living, although that's part of it. Not abstract ideas. Christ was with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Have you ever been threatened by a lion? Not recently, I hope not. You haven't had it that bad, right? Christ is with you. Now, I've had, I, I have this one brother. He went through an immense trial. And as we were encouraging him and uh, sharing the scriptures with him, he goes, this is the hardest I've, this is the hardest trial I've ever had. This is the lowest trial I have ever had. But I am closest to Christ more than ever. You know, brothers and sisters, if you've walked with Christ, there were times when you were alone and no one could help you.
you in your trial. And Christ was closer to you. And the fellowship was sweeter with him. And his presence was more real than you've ever had it. You know he was there with you. Amen? Amen? He strengthens me. So if you forget the rest of this sermon, that's the part you have to know. Jesus is with me. What is his other name? Emmanuel. What does that mean? What does it mean? God with us. Wow. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Christ. Now, harness your power. Harness your power. Christ has immense storehouse for you. Secondly, rely on his rule. Rely on his rule. It says... In Ephesians, we're actually just going through this one verse. Sorry, guys. In Ephesians, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so now, command is to be strong. And now it says, and in the strength of his might. And in that phrase, in the strength, the word there for strength is the word kratos. And that's where we get the word, and you can hear it, right? Autocrat. Democratic. Democratic means ruled by the people. It means power, might, sovereignty. It means possession of force or strength that affords supremacy or control. In other words, as we are to experience the personal strength giving of Christ, we are also to realize that no matter how bad it gets, everything is under his control. Everything is under his sovereign rule. I can trust in him. And it's, it's not like I'm trusting in the sovereign rule of Hitler. At a time, Hitler was controlling everything. He was an evil man. We are trusting in a sovereign God who controls everything, but his will and his predisposition to you is love. His predisposition predisposition to you is kindness and so this kind rule despite it being difficult is under his command and you can trust in it this power is used in different ways it, it's used to describe the sovereign power to raise christ from the dead i'm going to read from uh, oh well since we're in ephesians go to verse uh 19 119. Notice it's the same power in Ephesians 119. He says, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength. There it is. The working of his strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now here, this word, okay, he's saying it is the strength that God gives. It is the rule that he has. It is the authority in which he rules. And God is saying here, just as I have rule and I brought Christ out of the dead. Okay. He defeated death. I have that sovereign rule over the affairs of your life. And I control it and I can give you strength. And this is why Job, and Job knew this, right? 
when Mrs. Job was saying, why don't you just curse God and die, right? Got a wife who's just saying, curse God and die, right? Everything's bad. Curse God and die. Thanks a lot, Mrs. Job, for your encouragement, right? Job said this, what? What? He says, what? What does he say? What does he say? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And what does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. How can you say that, Job? You lost your kids. You lost your house. You got boils all over you. I don't even like to go outside with a pimple on my face, right? You got boils all over you. He understood that though he doesn't understand God's sovereignty, I don't understand the whole plan. I don't understand how it's going to work out. He understood that God loves him and is for him. Amen? We could talk much more about that sovereignty to rely on his rule. It's also used in First uh, Timothy 6.14. You could read that. It's his sovereign power to rule eternally. It says the king of kings and lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen to him be honor. And then it says eternal dominion. That is the same word here. His eternal dominion. <laughs> He is sovereign to receive worship forever. It says in Revelation 5.13, I heard him saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion. The word here, God is ruling over the affairs of your life. And what you can trust is this. We always go to Romans chapter 8. What does it say? God causes all things to work for what? The good of those who love him. And then if you read, why are you doing it? He doesn't really a- answer the scenario, but he gives the, he gives the following undergirding truth. Because whatever you're going through, God is causing this trial to conform you into the image of his son. And if you don't have that kind of theology and you bump up against something difficult, you're going to crumble. If you don't understand that God controls all things, even the wicked things, and he allows it in your life to make you stronger, to cause you to be more Christ-like, to cause you to depend more on him, you won't have a theology that's going to hold you. You're going to say, why is this bad? I thought God good, devil bad. There's my dualistic view of the world, where in fact God controls all things, and the devil is just his as Luther would say, his little devil. His little devil. Okay, so, in preparing for battle, you have to harness your power. You have to rely. Uh, Secondly, you also have to know your enemy, verses 11 to 12. Know your enemy. You got to do reconnaissance. We know reconnaissance, okay? Every time you do battle, it is very unwise for a general to go in without doing reconnaissance, to knowing the enemy's strengths, to know what their methods are, to know what their details are. He says to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm. We're going to talk about that because it's addressed a little bit later. But he noticed, it says here, we're going to talk about against the schemes of the devil, okay? Against the schemes of the devil, 
uh, in knowing your enemy, you got to know his wicked heart. This devil, he is, he is the serpent of old. He is the one who wants to destroy the Messiah. He is the one that wants to cause you to not look at Christ. He is the one to simply cause you to not look at him. You could, he says he doesn't care if you look at good principles. He doesn't care if you look at morality. He doesn't care. All he has to do is get your mind off of Christ, and he's won. Okay? That's the enemy. Okay? And a lot of times it's just simple and subtle. Oh, you know what? You could actually do this by yourself. You know what? They don't really need Christ since they are such a nice, good, up, moral family. And what the, the devil is against us. But notice, he says, that is his wicked heart. But I want to talk about this portion here in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So you know your enemy's wicked heart. He wants to bring you down. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 28. He wants to bring you down. He doesn't want you to trust in Christ. He wants you to sin. Here's, this is amazing. He wants you to sin so that he could accuse you and say, look at the people you saved, God. At the people you saved, look how sinful they still are. And that is, if we are a church that's about the gospel and about Christ, Understand this, brothers and sisters, we have opposition. That is spiritual. Okay? That is spiritual. He says, how do you know your enemy? You got you to know your enemy's wicked plans. And he says the schemes. Let's talk about the schemes. The word there for schemes is, in the Greek, it's uh, methodia. And if you could hear it, it sounds like methods, right? That's where we get the word, Methods. The devil's methods are deceptions. The devil's methods are lies. The devil's methods are half-truths rather than what Scripture says. The devil's methods are false religion, disbelief, ridicule of Christ. They're all his methods. A denial or twisting of God's truth about Christ, about salvation, about heaven, about hell, about men's and women's roles, about judgment, about the word of God, about implications on life. All the devil has to do is twist it. All the devil has to do is not have you focus on Christ when the scriptures are all about Christ, right? That's all he has to do. The devil likes to supplant truth. Do you remember in Luke chapter 8? The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. The devil likes to teach false doctrine. He says, but the Spirit explicitly says in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The devil loves to accuse you, and I said this in Romans 12. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. The devil is accusing you. And sometimes, here's a scheme, guys. He's accusing you before God the Father. Look at this failure of a Christian. Right? And you, rather being rooted in truth, rooted in the gospel, you're listening to the lies of the devil rather than the truth of God's word. You are listening to your own lies. 
did you know you're a terrible counselor? Don't listen to yourself. Listen to the word of God. You're a terrible counselor. I'm a terrible counselor to myself. When I, when I start talking and I go, you know, I just, I'm a loser. I'm not going to make it. I just, you know, I might as well just give up. I keep falling in sin, you know. I'm, you're a terrible counselor. You're accusing yourself. That's the devil's technique. That's the devil's methods. What about this? What about instead of listening to myself, I would listen to the gospel. I would preach the gospel to myself. And I would say, I am a failure, but in Christ I can do all things. I have made a mess of my life, but Christ has saved me. And now I am a new creation, a new creature. I have messed up all these relationships and I blew it here and I blew it there. Or I have messed up my relationship with my parents. Or I have relationship, I messed up my trust with my kids. They don't trust me anymore because I, 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 I blew it with them. And yet God says this. If you have been redeemed in Christ, there is newness in life. Amen? Now, uh, I'm going to end here because we have to move on in today's Communion Sunday. Your enemy's wicked armory, you know, it's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness. As we dwell on that, brothers and sisters, the world is getting increasingly and increasingly more and more uh, hateful as Christ. If you can't see that, we're in a war. But lastly, in verse 13, check your gear, check your gear, check your gear, okay? He says, how do you fight? Take up the armor of God, full armor of God. And we're going to talk about that uh, in a couple of weeks, right? But check your gear because your enemy is powerful. You need the full armor of God, not of man's philosophies, Okay? not in mixture of psychology and Christianity. That will not help. Christ himself will help. Christ is the sole doctor, okay? Then he says, because your enemy is unrelenting. Notice that you may be able to res resist in the evil day. What's the evil day? Every day is the evil day. Have you noticed Sometimes your greatest fight to stay Christ-centered is when you're on vacation. You release back in your disciplines and you go, oh, it's okay. And all of a sudden, boom, you're in sin, right? Every day is an evil day. Check your gear because your enemy is powerful, because your enemy is unrelenting, brothers and sisters. You will fight until the day you die. When do you stop? When we're in glory. But you keep fighting. Lastly, because your enemy is vulnerable. I love that. Your enemy is vulnerable. And having done everything to stand firm, God says, here's the wonderful reality, brothers and sisters. You actually can win in him. And winning is not winning a political faction. Okay, Winning is not being able to save 
to have the gospel and you be the conduit of saving thousands and thousands of people, although that's wonderful. Winning is, what does it say here? Standing firm. That's it? You know, when life beats you up, Christ says, Christ says this, what? Stand in me. In other words, I've been beat up. I've been maligned. I've been betrayed. I've sinned. But Christ is still for me, and I'm still standing in him. I'm still believing in Christ. What causes that believer? It is his supernatural power in your life. And when the world sees you beat up and still believing in Christ, they got to say, what is causing all that strength? You give him the glory. Amen. Amen. Christ is keeping me standing. We're going to talk about the next portion, um, verses 14 to 17, not next week, but in a couple weeks. Uh, I'd like to do a baptism sermon next week. So I hope you all come, but why don't we pray? And let me encourage you. The devil has lost, okay? He's already lost. His doom is sure, right? Right, what is that, what is that, uh? Uh, his rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. That is, a mighty fortress is our God. His rage we can't endure, his attacks, for lo, his doom is sure, right? That means he will ultimately be destroyed. And Christ will strengthen you in this life. Oh, brothers and sisters, rely on him. Trust in him, okay? Don't try and do this by yourself. He has a storehouse for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you. I thank you that Christ is for us, not against us. I thank you that you have not left us alone. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your truth. And you give us your own strength. Help us to rely on your strength in our battle against sin in our own lives, in our battle against sin, against your gospel, we pray. Give us strength in Jesus' name. Amen.